Liz, you are a maiden fair with your auburn eyes and your dark colored hair. You came to me as if from a dream. As the co host of True Anon, we make such a great team. Oh. That's. I have something. I must tell you. I accidentally used the company card, and、uh, I spent a lot of money. Liz, I'm really sorry. Like I. That was I, so cute, Brace. Yeah, no. You but know like, what?、I'm, Those improv classes are paying off. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another thing I gotta say. I I gave. Are you familiar with UCB?、Mm. Uh, I donated um two hundred thousand dollars. Well, it's not、I'm、a donation、so、if you're if you're taking classes. Yeah, 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 and like, well, unfortunately, also, I'm getting me tooed out of it. Hello. I'm not actually getting me to it. I want to make that clear. But hello, Liz. How are you doing, sweetheart?、Uh, for the teaser that goes out to everyone, we're just going to include the bit where you say you're getting me to. No, we should include- say you're not getting me to on the Patreon one. No, what we should do, what we should do is, you know how、uh, there's music after the teaser, right? Yeah, there's music, or not the teaser, the、uh, the cold open. Duh, that's where it、yeah. is. Yeah.、Uh, We do the end part of me saying I am getting me tooed, and then we、mm. play a full three minutes and fifty seconds of music, and、mm. then at the end, me saying I'm not getting me tooed.、Mm. Yeah, I think that's a bad idea. That takes people on a journey. Side note: Me too.、Mm. Low key fell off. Me too. High key fell off, baby. Yeah, what's up with that? Who's even getting me tooed these days? Yeah, more like me who. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking here and there. I mean, look, I, I guarantee you, if I Google "me too," right? Okay,、uh, that is a picture of me. We are don't don't Google "me too." There's nothing to see there. Nothing even comes up. I, I take it back what I said about the improv classes paying off. <laughs> Hello,、um, everyone. Welcome, True Anon.、Mm-hmm. I'm Liz. Me,、uh, me too. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm pretty. Yeah, like that one, didn't you?、Uh, my name is、uh, My name is、uh, John Stossel,、uh, Brace Belden, and we are joined by producer Hyung、uh, Chomsky. And、uh, and hello. Gosh, we're we're always making topical jokes, like me too. What has it been like? Four years of this. I'm always making tropical jokes, like what's up with all these、uh, bananas? That's great. Well,、yeah. Let's just okay. We really got、uh, it today, guys. I don't know. Brace is making banana jokes. I am really hot. I feel like like there could probably be a supercut of me saying "really warm" from like our whole time doing. You're wearing a, a sweatsuit. I am wearing a sweatsuit, but it's also really hot in my room. Um, yeah, I am sweaty. Okay, well, let's、Sweet. just get to the show. Welcome, sickos and freaks, to another episode of True Anon. We have with us sitting here in the secret bunker in the、uh, well. I can't tell you where it is. It wouldn't be a secret.、Uh, 
Uh, we got Robbie Martin from Media Roots Radio, our co-host of that show, and a filmmaker behind a very heavy agenda. Robbie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Your awesome podcast. We're so excited to have you. Mm-hmm. You're our, uh, our deep state consultant. <laughs> are you having a good post-election? Yeah. I mean, after the protracted nature of it, yeah, uh, I guess I guess so. Um, we should say technically no one has been declared official president-elect yet. Yes. Well, <laughs> what, it's it's December that they're going to do that? Exactly. I can't. I mean, Jesus Christ. Well, I say I that because that's stuff. getting us into what we want to talk about, which is basically our man Q, who <laughs> has been basically silent up until last night uh, in the wake of a potential Donald Trump loss. But he reappeared last night. But yeah, he's been basically silent through since the election. Yep. 10 days of silence, apparently um, the longest gap since that one two-month or one-and-a-half-month mm. break that Q took. I think it was maybe a year ago. Or no, it was in May of this year, I think, that it, that they took a break. But yeah, the last posting on Election Eve was um, the last of the Mohican soundtrack again. <laughs> As a new land was being carved. Which is one of their favorite uh, soundtrack pieces. And uh, (laughs) just says this nation uh, under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth. It's an Abraham Lincoln quote. And then it says, together we win. Q. So that was the last post before the 10 day hiatus. Yeah, it should be noted, too, that there was a photo uh, image added to that post as well. And um, in the Q drop. I didn't actually see it on 8Coon. I, I looked at it on like a Q-Drop website. But the JPEG is called Largest Waving Flag in America. And it is indeed a picture of one of – well, I, I can't say if it's the largest, but certainly the person who you know named the picture thought it was. But he is he has reappeared with a post uh, – when was this? This was on 10, 1030 last night that says – Liz, do you want to read this for us? I feel like you have a sonorous mm. reading voice. Okay, I'll do my best Q impression. Shall we play a game? <laughs> that's that's what you that's what you think Q sounds like. Yeah, I'm gonna pretend he's <laughs> okay, wearing no, like no, a no. big top hat. Then like that has like a question mark on it in velvet. Okay. And okay. he's yeah, so he's not actually in my mind, he's not actually like a big military macho man, but is like a <laughs> like a kind of um like old timey riddler. Yeah, I was about to say, or like the guy in the, the 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 green money suit who used to be in the commercials. All the free government money programs that you are eligible for. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, like that <laughs> plus um, the Wizard of Oz, but for the bunker in Cheyenne, the Cheyenne Mountains. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> okay. Uh, shall we play a game? God, dude. <laughs> Nothing can stop what is coming. N C S W I C. Yeah. So, so what, what, what Q also did is when, sorry to interrupt, but when in the sentence, nothing can stop what is coming, he's bracketed and made white the first letter of each uh, word, but then he also just spells it out too underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> so uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. He wants to make sure you get it. He's driving the mm-hmm. point home. Who stepped down today, Forrest? More coming? Why is this relevant? 
How do you show the public the truth? How do you safeguard U.S. elections post POTUS? How do you remove foreign interference and corruption and install U.S. owned voter ID laws and other safeguards? It had to be this way. Sometimes you must walk through the darkness before you see the light. Q. All right. Well, I think that Dog last line, shit. that last line's real bad. Yes. That is some hardcore hopium. Mm-hmm. Does it does it also seem like that could be read as a some form of concession in and of itself post potus mm. walking through the darkness before the light? I cuz when I first read it, I was like, yeah, this is total hopium and now you're reading it again i'm thinking is this basically saying that after trump they're going to safeguard the elections it's you can almost read it both ways i mean that's that's sort of the intent that's 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 the intent that i felt was behind it because post potus sort of implies (laughs) well i think it directly implies that uh the president of the united states is not going to be the same anymore um and and sometimes you must walk through the darkness before you see the light. That to me, I mean, if if you sort of take on the the idea that like a you know Q's followers resemble in some way like a religious cult, then that is absolutely the thing that you would say in, in these trying times right now. Because that's what I see from a lot of different Q influencers is that like they're saying things seem bad right now, but they're actually leading to something even better than what we thought. You know, I have a feeling that this is gonna get into something that I think we're going to talk about on the podcast real soon, which is called the great reset, mm-hmm. um, which is slowly becoming, which is like a real thing, but also is slowly becoming kind of like cue a um, kind of soup for all different conspiracy theories. Um, yeah. But the it's like, agenda 21. Yeah. But the install us voter ID laws, like that goes very hand in hand with some, uh, stuff that people associate with the kind of with the Great Reset, which is like uh, biometric tracking apps and and kind of like um, you know everyone having a national ID that you know that would be new something like that. That kind of feels like it might be getting into that, and it kind of would make sense for Q to kind of bleed into that stuff. I think mm-hmm. as we move forth post Trump. Yeah, this seems like it could be just sort of more open-ended. I mean, it's definitely ripe for sort of reading the tea leaves from. Like, you can interpret this so many different ways. That that concept you just touched on, it could definitely be applied to something like that if that's where this moves. And that's sort of what I've been thinking lately is this Q energy. I could see it most useful at in a post-Trump world being used to sort of consolidate all the COVID conspiracy stuff mm-hmm. and use it. Uh, I mean, kind of rightfully against Biden's sort of more draconian approach to the COVID Mm -hmm. lockdowns and continuing that theme. Like this is, you know, almost sort of creating more of a cohesion of that civil liberties argument that Trump just doesn't really care to make, but he's still like not handling the pandemic. I think that that's sort of where I imagine it could go Mm. um, in in regards to all the biometric tracking, the vaccines, all that stuff. Mm. And climate stuff too, because a lot of people are saying that um, the COVID lockdowns are just a dress rehearsal for what will become <laughs> like various national policies related to climate change, like mitigation like climate of climate change and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is kind of folded in again with Great Reset stuff. But like, I can totally see this becoming like Q then becoming this like soup for all of these things, even more so than like 
that almost like what we watched with Q in this like development phase under the Trump admin is just like, was like a test run for where it's actually going to go. That makes sense. I mean, Q to me right now, it seems so like almost directionless, right? I mean, obviously like, you know, you know, like a lot of people have noted this, but there was a real change in Q's kind of tone somewhat in content uh, a while ago when it looks like it was taken over by different people, or at least had a different writer that was assigned to doing it. Um, but I, Q's, Q's big strength has been that it has served as a nexus for all these different new conspiracy theories. And like, you know, it has created and generated its own ones. I mean, remember that like quite a, a large number of Q supporters and Q influencers, uh, were claiming that JFK Jr. was going to replace Biden as Trump's running mate. And that obviously didn't come true. <laughs> Things do not look great for Trump right now. Uh, Q's big prophecy, which is that Trump is going to fight the deep state, obviously, or be successful in fighting the deep state, is obviously not going to come true. I mean, I don't think that Trump is going to win whatever court cases. Maybe he will, but like, I think this will probably end with Biden being president. And when when someone like Q or like a, a or an organization group, whatever you want to call it, like Q, you know, when their big sort of um, you know prophecy doesn't come true, they have to switch gears, and like that's mm-hmm. what this like Liz, like that I I really get what you're saying because that's what this seems to me to be setting up for me is like a way to switch gears is like oh the actual the next four years are actually going to be us preparing for Trump's return because I guarantee mm. you that if Biden yeah. does ascend to the throne of heaven and Trump is cast out into the wilderness, then Q will spend the next four years basically being like, Trump is doing like uh, an undercover operation as a yes. civilian. Yeah. And he's going to oh, come man. back and be more powerful than ever. Oh, wow. Like You're absolutely right. Trump is going to become a like traveling Billy Graham type figure. Yes. Where he's just going to go like city to city, even if it's just by like TV screen and have these rallies and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can totally see that happening. Um, I also think that, like, I, you know, if Biden becomes president and you're going to see, like, the climate accords, you're going to see a lot more participation and, like, the U.S. being welcomed. Like, this was the same shit with Obama, right? It was like the U.S. was welcomed back into the uh, onto the national stage, which was so, so grotesque. Yeah, maybe they'll give Biden a fucking Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> I mean, why not at this point, I guess? But, like... It's going to, you're going to, I can see Q stuff, like it, the Soros stuff is going to be way more front and center. The Davos stuff is going to be way more front and center. Um, and all that kind of like one world order, great reset, like uh, back anti-vaccine, anti-climate, um, you know, privacy, digital ID, all that stuff. Like, that's my, that's my Q prophecy from Liz about where Q is going. <laughs> yeah, I- I largely agree with that. I think it's it's definitely if Biden gets in, which I think he he will. I don't think these legal cases are going to materialize in anything yeah. either. I think that it will. They'll be it, it, the Q's postings if it continues to go. We'll we'll start going in the direction of sort of like see. We told you what mm-hmm. globalism was. We told you that Trump was staving off globalism, and this is the return to globalism. I think that could be sort of almost the overall framing of it. Um, Because, you know, things obviously like the U.S. becoming more chummy with the U.N., the U.S. going back into sort of these international agreements and sort of, you know, leaning into that more will just be 
all the ammunition Q needs to just say, yeah, look, this is the return of globalism. I mean, it yeah, just it, it can be as reductive as that, really. Mm, yeah. Probably a bunch of anti-China stuff, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I mean, that's that's really like what's becoming sort of synonymous with globalism in a lot of their eyes is like they, they kind of right, use yeah. that as a cover to talk about China. But Robbie, what do you make of the fact that Q didn't post for, I think, what, 10 days between the election and the and, and last night? I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to read into it, but my initial feeling was that I felt that the sort of the Republican and Trump surrogate messaging after election night had become improvisational. And mm-hmm. they, I got a sense that they had some of the same hubris that Hillary's side did in 2016, mm-hmm. that they were taken off guard by this. There is, there was some reporting and who knows how much of this you can trust saying, you know, insiders say that Trump was refusing to like game out what a loss would look like for him and how to transition out because he thought it was bad luck. I don't know if that's true, but I, I did get a sense that their hubris was extremely high because just the messaging, we didn't get that slick dialed in coordinated Mm -hmm. messaging that we expect from Trump's people. They did seem to sort of go into desperation mode and I think that that's sort of where Q was also. It didn't know what the messaging necessarily was. It maybe, you know, Q could have gone out there, I guess, and blasted out the hammer scorecard thing, blasted out the quantum blockchain watermark, Steve Pachinik thing. I could have, you know, said, look at this whistleblower at the USPS, which was kind of, you know, Q, Q was kind of just writing in that alleyway of generic Republican fringe yeah. media stuff for a while leading into the election. So that's where I would have expected it to continue going, but instead it just sort of backed away. And I think whoever is posting as Q is waiting for the messaging to become more clear. Like what was the narrative going to be? And what's really fascinating about the postings that it's made, it's only made three. I'm referring to it as it for some reason. It's only <laughs> made three postings since they. Uh, the, the 10. Yeah. They is better after this 10 day hiatus. And one of the interesting things missing from it is it's barely talking about any of the things that the, all the Republican conspiracies are turning out right now. It's not yeah. mentioning hammer scorecard. It's not mentioning these whistleblowers. It's not even really mentioning the president. The only time they mention Trump is as POTUS and they refer to him as po- they just say post POTUS. Yeah. Um. So I, I mean, I think maybe Q was waiting to see if Trump was going to fight, really come out there swinging. And perhaps that didn't connect for Q and Q is sort of leaning into this is the end of the Trump era or starting to pivot that way. That's sort of what I'm getting from it. And just so people know, the only other post Q made is one post saying Durham. Uh, That's it. It was like posted a couple of hours after the one that Liz just read. And then the other one uh, that was actually posted before the um the shall we play a game post just says nothing could stop what is coming nothing mm. um very generic that, very yeah. o- open ended to the point where what's coming like is yeah. it trump is it biden there's really no clear indicator of where q thinks it's going to go so that's to me one of the most interesting parts of this of how open ended and then what is this like i still don't even quite understand what this ncswic thing is i mean oh i can I, tell you about that yeah, let, let what the hell is it? Because I'm looking at the website. I don't quite understand what how this <laughs> connects into this narrative. So it looks like the first link sends you to the CISA website, and uh, both links are to 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 CISA. But uh, the 
the NS, NCSWIC appears to be the National Council of Statewide Interoperability Interoper, uh, Coordinators. And that comes from, that looks like it's under CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. That's actually an agency that Trump himself created in 2018 to, uh, as he says, safeguard future elections. And so what Q is hinting at here, I don't know why he would put this specific link up. I know why he put the second link up. I don't know why he put this first link up. But um, it's obvious that he is hinting at, or they're hinting at, uh, or giving clues or whatever, that there is something wrong with the the uh, integrity of the elections from, electro- from an electronic angle, right? And so... I, I'm going to have to look into this more. I have no idea exactly what this means. I do know exactly what the second link means because the second link is a link to the CISA website to a guy named Brian Ware. Now, Brian Ware is – he's kind of a, a big wig at CISA in charge of I think like cybersecurity and he was fired yesterday um, by, uh. by the Trump administration. And the head of CISA, which I'll get to a little later – is looks like he's also about to be fired. And so what this says to me is this is Q basically hinting at the hammer scorecard theory. Or there's really any number of theories that 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 involve electronic voting, but specifically the one that matches up closest to this of all the sort of post-election theories about, you know, why why Trump lost is the hammer scorecard theory, which I th- I think we should sort of get into because I think some of our listeners might be familiar with it. But it hasn't been really reported in the mainstream media that much, except for the usual suspects sort of debunking it. Um, and I, I think they sort of do a poor job of debunking it. I don't exactly know. Listen, I can barely I, – I, I struggle to oh, – I can't open PDF. Like I can't do this kind of stuff. So I don't know. You're not looking at you know Mr. Robot over here. But uh, but Liz, do you want to try to explain what Hammer Scorecard is, as far as we know? Um, yeah, I think so. Okay, so from what we understand, or basically, the sto- I'll say the story goes. How about that? The <laughs> story go. goes that so Hammer Scorecard are basically two separate things. So there's Hammer and there's Scorecard. So Hammer is a foreign surveillance tool. It was that's apparently a, like a basically a computer program created by the CIA. Um, it, I think the hammer portion, it basically says that it's, uh, you know, a tool surveillance tool that can break into like any secret, crazy protected area, any, it can break all encryption and get in. And then the scorecard is the like second part, which is a separate program, which is that it has the ability to basically flip votes, (laughs) Which is like unclear to me if it's like that specific. I don't. I doubt it. Uh, I'm assuming it's just a program that they can run uh, once they've uh, broken into an encrypted. Uh, I don't know, encrypted system where they would keep where you know foreign countries would keep vote tallies. Um, but basically, Hammer Scorecard is supposed to be a computer cro- program by the CIA that they originally used in order to infiltrate foreign elections and change them if they wanted. Uh, and now I guess the suggestion through all of the, the kind of theories that are being thrown out by the right is that hammer scorecard was used, uh, was turned inside. So it was used domestically yeah. um, to change the election and swing it to Biden. 
They actually say it was made sometime in like, I think during Bush's tenure. And then in 2009, uh, Obama and John Brennan turned it inwards towards the mm. American public. Uh, the, the main source on all of this, in fact, the only source on all of this, uh, a guy named Dennis Montgomery, who we'll get into more in a second, uh, claims it was used. And he said, he says he made it himself. Like he says he is the guy who came up with hammer mm. scorecard. And he says it was deployed by uh, by Brennan and Obama in 2012 to steal the election in Florida for Obama. Um, mm. Obama won in 2008, and I guess uh, uh, Montgomery thought he might not win in 2012, and so he says that's what happened. I, to be clear, I am there is no doubt that this sort of technology exists to me. Like I I I I am not like doubting the existence that the CIA knows how to break into basically any computer. And fuck around and do whatever it wants. I will say I have no idea if Hammer and Scorecard exist. And like I looked for quite a while the past few days to find like much actual information on it. And it's it's uh it it, it basically all stems from this one guy's um Dennis Montgomery's uh testimony to a website that does not let you right click on it, which I found very insulting. I don't know how they can <laughs> even know that I'm doing that on my computer. Uh, but but you've seen that pushed around a lot in the in the in the past week, right, Robbie? Oh yeah, I mean it seemed to be the one that probably broke through to the mainstream the most. Uh, it was on the Lou Dobbs show briefly. Um, Sydney Powell, oh Michael Flynn's lawyer, um, mm -hmm. brought it up, and then Lou Dobbs sort of entertained it for a couple minutes, and then the next morning, Brian Killamade from Fox and Friends actually just randomly brought it up himself while going on a little rant about voter fraud. Um, so it's definitely seeped into the Republican mainstream. And what's sort of fascinating is this guy, Dennis Montgomery, I'm not, I won't mention too much about him yet, but the, but one thing he has claimed is that the way that this actually works is that it's a supercomputer that mm -hmm. he claims he designed and built called hammer, uh, capital H a M R. And that the software program is called scorecard. And that's, it just sounds like a wild claim in and of itself that this guy built this CIA supercomputer to break through like really sophisticated encryption, which the concept, like you said, probably exists in some form. It's just that anybody can just come out and say like, yeah, I'm the guy who built the yeah. CIA's you know program that does this really obvious thing that's probably being done. Um, and I think really, you know, anybody can really come out and say that, but this guy has a really strange past of actually fooling the CIA um, or the, so they claim. So that's a really interesting aspect of him and how you know, how sort of Machiavellian he might be just in, in terms of being a grifter or a spook or whatever the hell he is. Um, just a strange character in all this. Yeah. There's like this whole thing is filled with the sort of strange characters that we seem to kind of get into whenever you come on the show. There's another guy that's been pushing the theory <laughs> Named Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney. McInerney. That's McInerney. Too Irish. McInerney. It's too Irish for me to pronounce. My Jewish tongue cannot wrap itself around the words. But this guy is a total fucking freak. I mean, he was on TV in 2002 claiming the. Uh, you know, he said his main quote from his take on the Iraq War is that it will be awesome. Um, <laughs> he also claims that the Russians, uh, like Spetsnaz took WMDs out of Iraq in 2004. What? Uh, 
he's on a bunch of Iran regime change committees. I mean, he is the kind of guy. He was one of the 88 generals to endorse uh, Trump in in 2016, uh, which me and Robbie were talking about last night. That number has more than doubled. I think it's like tripled or whatever. It's something like 250 or something now. I don't know yeah, if that actually means 255. I mean, I don't know if that means that you know more generals felt safe to come out and publicly endorse Trump, but it's still a pretty crazy increase. Um, yeah, in this, you know, difference between 2020 and 2016. So, in terms of Dennis Montgomery, I want to establish one thing first and foremost: is that he claims that he was abducted in his uncle's barn by aliens when he was younger who took him on their mothership and imparted all of their information to him. And that's why he's so good at building computers. I'm that not makes, jerking your chain, to me. but that's, I mean, I'm just saying what the man himself says, but he was the VP uh, vice president and, and chief uh, technological officer of a, a, a company called eTrepid. And if you Google eTrepid, you mostly get lawsuits against them. Um, it is, uh, this man has been involved in quite a lot of litigation, but he was basically, he was brought into this technology company and I think he started it maybe, uh, with, with the other co-founder in, in 98 and, uh, there, his first major role, I mean, this company, when he was brought on was working on a video game version of the, of the movie roadhouse. <laughs> That was their big thing. Oh no, that was that was later. That was when the CIA gets involved. That's when they were working <laughs> on Roadhouse. But, anyways, it, this was like a technology company that was sort of like a jack of all trades sort of thing. But 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 Montgomery's big thing was like video compression, and 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 he worked with video. He was you know like an experimental uh, filmmaker. Let's say uh, his first like major government contract was actually to work on uh, on predator drones. And he wins a thirty million dollar contract with uh, U.S. Uh, with Socom uh, in two thousand three, and he's later. I mean, you also, if you Google Etrepid, you will find a lot of stuff about a, uh, a congressman and later governor Jim Gibbons from from Nevada, and it, it 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 appears that there was probably a lot of graft going on here. I think Etrepid was ripping off the Pentagon. Um, but then uh, in 2003, I don't know if you guys remember this. You guys, are, you know, maybe we have some younger listeners. But in 2003, there was a confluence of a lot of things. We had the terror alerts, uh, and we also had, you know, a, a lot of you know security at airports and a lot of paranoia around flying. Uh, and there was a little TV station called Al Jazeera. And Dennis Montgomery's big claim to fame is that in 2003, he was able to make the government basically stop all air travel for like. I think like a while and put thousands of police like heavily armed onto American streets. And I, he was the source of the first orange terror threat because he claimed he could find hidden signals in Al Jazeera broadcasts that were giving out coordinates, latitudes, longitudes, and flight plans for airplanes so that Al Qaeda terrorists could, uh, could use them and then uh, presumably blow up those planes. That's horrifying. I mean, I, yeah. I wonder if, in part, if that explains some of those extremely aggressive shellings and and you know mysterious attacks on Al Jazeera employees in Iraq. I mean, there was so many of them. Um, yeah. You have to wonder why you know the military was taking that stance. I mean, maybe this guy had something to do with that. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, I, I, apparently, like Rumsfeld and all these guys were like really paranoid about Al Jazeera. And I mean, I, I'm sure you guys remember people were like freaked out by them. And I, yeah. I, I was talking to Liz about this earlier. I'm pretty sure it's mostly because they had Al in the name. Like, 
that's what rings most true to me is that is that it, like Al Qaeda, they have Al in the name. Yeah, basically. I mean, I remember everyone just being like, oh, that's like terrorist news. It's like that's yeah. like, that makes sense to even say about anything. But yeah, so they it's just so- would dismiss anything. They also would show a lot of uh, real like death footage, like uncensored, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, actual uh, casualties from the war, civilians, um, you know, bodies on the streets and things like that. And I remember that was, you know, it, it was just completely sanitized coverage here at the time. They wouldn't even, they were blocking even photography of the coffins, you know, being yeah. carried from the planes of military soldiers. So it's like the only place you could actually find that stuff, except for like, you know, the sort of the dark internet at that time, which would have been like Ogrish or a website mm-hmm. like that. Rotten.com. Yeah, something like that. Uh, which actually, that uh, 2003 was the year that I was probably most on those websites. Um <laughs> But, but so, so this is because, uh, our, our friend Dennis here, you know, said he found out all of this, you know, information that was coming from Al Jazeera. And when he told that to the government that went straight to the CIA and the CIA sent a team to the e-trepid warehouse in their office was inside of a warehouse on the outskirts of Reno. They set up on the first floor and Montgomery sat there for like a while. And just printed out numbers that he handed off to CIA agents. He called it noise filtering. And it put out data that he called output. Again, it was latitudes, longitudes, uh, you know, flight numbers. All of this went straight to the desk of a guy named George Tenet. Uh, Robbie, you seem like you'd be pretty familiar with that band's work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, you know, he had to basically resign, quietly resign right after 9-11. There's a whole bunch of strange you know things with the cia completely dropping the ball when they had all these opportunities to go after bin laden so george Tennant has a very shady history um and as you're describing that brace it's kind of reminding me of like it would almost be like if the cia just hired like a psychic or something and just yes. had them interpret noise you know like if a psychic claimed they could decrypt a soviet transmission through some you know soviet radio transmission then tell the cia what it's actually saying Mm-hmm. It's it's well, basically they have done that. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's how Nancy Reagan <laughs> ran foreign policy when she took yes. over for her yes. drilling husband. Yes, Liz. Actually, we do not want to offend some of our listeners. Astrology is real, and it's a perfectly rational way to interact with the Soviet Union. Hey, <laughs> you don't have to tell me twice. Um. Yeah. I mean. I mean. It's really incredible. Like that. They. They. They not only fell for this. They like really fell for it. I mean. They shut down all these flights. And the French, as you can imagine, were not happy about this. Uh, tensions with the French were running rather high around this period of time in two thousand three. That is like my favorite like storyline that has somehow been like erased from memory is like how much the Americans like started a fake culture war with the French yeah. yes. in the run up to the Iraq war. And they didn't fight back war. against. They just, there was a one-sided war. <laughs> yeah. It was so, it's so funny. Like if you, you talk to like Zoomers or whatever and you tell them this and they're like, that's not true. Like no one believes that freedom fries and that whole thing is true. Oh my God. Can you imagine if Twitter was around back then? All the pictures Jesus. of people like throwing away French fries and pouring wine down and the And then you get the stuff. contrarians oh who are like, no, they're right. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, is about freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, it was just, I, I think it's like, it's so hard to really explain how insane things were back then. And I know <laughs> this is. sounds nuts to you that like all of these people could believe or pretend to believe or whatever that the Al Jazeera 
was putting in like flight coordinates. And by the way, there were no, like there weren't any terrorist attacks connected to any of this. Like he did this for like quite a while. And like, he gave, you know, a bunch of information to the CIA. They didn't bust anybody because of his information. Like it was just a total, like through and through, it appears to have been a sham. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know, but it sounds pretty unrealistic to me. I'll tell you why it's a little unclear, but the French commissioned a study, a secret study that proved that this thing was fake. It took them like a week <laughs> and they were just like, oh, this is just not real. Like there's no, the, it, the thing that he's describing that he's doing is literally impossible. And this man is just handing you nonsense numbers. Uh, the CIA is forced to cut ties with him. Although there's still a bunch of people there who are like, oh no, no, it's real. It's real. Like, like we're, you know, convinced themselves that it was real. But you might be like, well, damn, that that should probably end his career. But no, uh, a few years later, well, something happens in the interim. The, the Air Force sort of sets him up in a weird sting operation with his his partner. He steals a bunch of source codes from Etrepid. This is Montgomery. Uh, and during a lawsuit between, I believe, Montgomery and and uh, his, his co-owner of Etrepid, a guy named Trep, uh, the Justice Department, and John Rigaponte actually – invokes the state secrets act and so they can't actually talk about any of it and the reporting around at the time is like yeah it's because the cia was so embarrassed that like they fell for this like million million i mean it looks like they could have received like a hundred million dollars from the government um but i'm also like well maybe it worked and they just don't want people to know but i don't think so uh or maybe they didn't care that it was false yeah. Well, that's 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 the most realistic thing. Like, yeah. like they just knew. Maybe at some point they knew this guy wasn't producing real information, but they're like, it's useful to us to just do whatever the hell we want in Iraq and have some fake rationalization for it. And yeah. you know, ultimately they they got raided or hit. They I think it was the FBI who raided the company in the end yep. after the CIA shut it down. And during the investigation, they just quietly wanted to make sure all the evidence they raided from him was never seen by anybody. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, all that software that he had used to do this is just basically they covered it up. So, like, yeah, they're so embarrassed that they don't want anyone to ever look into this giant scam operation that was running to see how much of an obvious scam it was. I'm sure somebody in the CIA was smart enough to be like, this is a this is has to be a scam. You know, like my understanding too with the agencies is that, like, I mean, they like take the Pentagon, for example, they just fucking print contracts. Like, it's the, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like literally the yeah. only thing that DOD does. So, like, the idea that, like, I, I'm, my assumption is that there are a lot of fucking CIA, NSA, DOD contractors that literally don't do shit. And these contracts are worth a lot of fucking money. You know what I mean? That, um, you know, it's more so that they, that someone got caught. Like, it's more embarrassing that someone found out it was fake and it came out that it was fake than it was actually fake, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, it's like more of a PR thing that was an issue rather than the fact that that they were like someone was running a grift on the, on the you know, CIA or the Pentagon. Well, the, the best thing about it, there, a bunch of other shit happens that's like too much to get into. The guy's also addicted to gambling and loses millions of dollars at casinos <laughs> playing blackjack. By the way, I want to note Baller. here that I'm really good at blackjack and I've only ever, it's literally impossible to lose at the game of blackjack if you play long enough. I've won hundreds of dollars in my life. Um, yeah, that's the thing with gambling. If you just keep doing it, you eventually get it all back and more. Mm. But uh, life's a gamble. 
and you always win. Um, the, uh, he, so, you know, this whole thing, this guy's life is a fucking mess. You know, his, his reputation is in tatters. He's suing his best friend, his co-owner, you know, things are not going good, but, uh, that doesn't stop the government from once again, buying the same exact technology, but this time it was the air force doing it. And they spent millions of dollars purchasing literally the same like bullshit technology from him. And that's how they predict a uh, – I don't know if you guys remember the Somali terrorist plot that was going to mm, be at Obama's inauguration. That. Yes, yes, yes. Very I can't really remember the details of it, but it was like supposed to be you know, these like Islamists from Somalia were going to disrupt and you know, destroy Obama's inauguration, and it did not happen. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's the, that comes from that? Yes. I remember that story. Wow. By the way, if you need further proof that the agencies are always at war with each other and don't talk to each other, literally DOD had no idea that the CIA had already bought fit this guy's yes. fake contract, <laughs> fake <laughs> software. So like, <laughs> they don't talk to each other for good reason. In 2009, the Air Force gets another contract with him, which they eventually drop uh, because I think they pretty quickly realize again that it was fake. Uh, he reinvents himself after that. And this is a classic baller move as a whistleblower. Yeah, now, that's... I want to be clear here. This guy has proven, brought no evidence of anything ever. Like, it's literally just like, take my word for it. He has produced no code, no pictures, nothing. And it's just like, he's he's probably the laziest whistleblower in human history. But he allies with a guy named John Solomon. Um and uh, and and after that, sort of his reputation is rescued, I guess, for a certain segment of society, and he becomes like this like rogue intelligence guy who's giving you guys all the truth. This is like a classic American story to me, so I really appreciate it. It's like create a fake thing, make money off the fake thing, and then when you're caught, make money off of telling everyone how it was a fake thing, yes. and you being an honest, you know, this is a redemption story. This is a classic story. Well, what does that have to do with QAnon? So <sighs> Trump <laughs> is firing members of CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, which is, by the way, he created. I want to be clear to that. Yeah. He created it and appointed the guys that he's firing. It's overseen by DHS, which is his like, most loyal thing. Um, because after the election, a little guy that we like to talk about named Steve Bannon is pointing to reports saying that Hammer and Scorecard are real. And now Chris Krebs, who's the, the director of CISA, the guy who's in charge, the guy that Donald Trump appointed, is going to be fired because CISA has something called a rumor control website. And this is from Reuters. The White House was angry about a CISA post rejecting a conspiracy theory that falsely claims an intelligence agency supercomputer and program purportedly named Hammer and Scorecard could have flipped votes nationally. Uh, no such system exists, according to Krebs, which, you know, I wouldn't trust him on that. Election security experts and former U.S. officials. But so the head of this like election integrity program is being fired because they put that hammer and scorecard is fake on a website. It's incredible. That is incredible. I want to pause on for a second. Christopher Krebs. <laughs> Can <laughs> we talk about this name? name? 
<laughs> I'm, isn't that's like Mr. Krabs, right? Was, I was about to it? say it's very SpongeBob-esque. Yeah, yeah, Christopher Krabs or something, or yeah, no, or some like you know gender queer novelist. The think. guy kind of looks like he could be. I, I've looked at pictures of him. He kind of looks like I don't know if you guys remember the genre of music called Paisley Underground from the eighties. Uh, he looks like one of those no, guys. I don't know what He's got like kind of like the. It was like a sixties revival stuff that was like like, like Dream Syndicate bands like uh, Dream Syndicate, fantastic band. Yeah, that's a great um, But uh, but yeah, he's got kind of like shaggy hair. I do um, want to remind listeners that we talked about CISA when we were um, in our conversation with Ken Klippenstein about, um, you know, Trump creating this, basically his own personal, not his own personal, but like a separate intelligence wing under DHS. Um, and that, you know, a lot of the kind of technology and um, kind of methods they would employ would be similar to something that you would see under the NSA. But like those agencies don't report to the president and DHS does, which is like a very um, like important thing to make note of here, I think. So, Robbie, it looks like Trump is – well, it certainly looks like Trump's team, at least, is getting the information that Hammer and Scorecard uh, is something that they should be talking about. How do you think that's even getting to him? I mean, that's the weird part about all of this. I mean, the last four years, it does seem like there is sort of a – almost like a Trump street marketing team sort of shadow <laughs> campaign – that all mm. communicates with each other and they're just like one phone call away from people like, for example, like Rudy Giuliani. I mean, this is yeah. what Ron Watkins, uh, the son of Jim, Jim Watkins, who is the Acun or HN co-founder, tweeted. He said that uh, he was making phone calls with Rudy Giuliani about Dominion Systems and he was, he was I guess, going to brief him on a 15-minute phone call about, and I guess I should mention Dominion Systems is the company that I guess runs some of the vote tallying machines that the, yep. the right is alleging or was started by Democrats or is compromised by Democrats. Um, but I would imagine it's probably getting to them the same way. I mean, it does seem like after this, after election night, they sort of ramped up into, you know, sort of, sort of improvisational, what conspiracies, what narratives can we use and just throw them all against the wall and see what sticks. And I think that, you know, we already saw, I don't remember exactly what the website was, but just like a lot of the other things that Q will talk about or other people from the Trump administration will talk about, they come from these like obscure, random conspiracy mm -hmm. sort of MAGA websites. Like this, the Hammer Scorecard thing first reappeared, I think, in October 30th. Yep. Of some website, I, I forget the URL, but if you look at it, it just it's looks called like, like any Patriot other random... Report something. I can, yeah. put, I can put the link in the description. So, I mean, I think that that, could be what's happening is the Trump administration is just trying to use whatever it can. Um, it's dipping into whatever conspiracy narratives that it can. Um, and I mean, here's just another strange connection is Trump's favorite uh, TV network right now, OAN, uh, a, like a popular reporter off that network, the one that's actually in the White House press pool named oh, yes. Channel Rion. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, Ron Watkins, the son of Jim Watkins, tweeted this out. He said, Mrs. Channel Rion just reached out to me and I'll be talking with her about Dominion tomorrow. That yeah. he's talking about that Dominion software. And within 24 hours, Trump just started going on these Twitter rants about Dominion. Um, so it really could be something that simple. Like there are, you know, the, I mean, this is actually a weird example of someone directly from Aitkun talking about 
talking to, you know, someone that's basically a Trump surrogate. That's new. Um, so yeah. that's, that's an interesting new development in this, but in general, I think that's kind of pretty much the way it's always been happening. It's not very chaotic, I have to say. Well, I mean, this this is just like in line with what we've kind of been talking about with our episodes with you is that there is this whole like almost hidden ecosystem out there that's everybody from uh, Miles Guo to Bannon to, to you know to OAN to to Giuliani and the MEK uh, to to the to the Falun Gong to to QAnon itself to Alex Jones. That's like it's this whole like sort of hidden. I don't know what to call it, like propaganda slash intelligence slash whatever network that's out there that like functions in this really like sometimes cohesive, sometimes very chaotic way. Uh, but but it creates these like counter narratives. And the, the thing is, I like big fan of counter narratives here. But the, the problem is, is like it's this it's it's basically just their own version of propaganda. And it's like it, it a QAnon, especially, I think it's like really leads people down some uh some some false paths there well i mean i think the the act the fact that it just keeps making these wild promises that have never materialized um just shows that you know whoever's running this engine the the whole engine itself is is basically just for it's just weaponized information war talking points and sometimes they're very effective sometimes they stick and I guess what bothers me more about all this is in the end, it's just sort of taking everything from deep politics or, you know, the sort of conspiracy mm-hmm. world. A lot of it's true and studied by academics. And it's just turning into this sort of watered down mesh of, you know, partisan weaponry mm-hmm. um, for these counter narratives. It's and it. And I think that that's ultimately one of the most tragic things about it, other than you know, what it's doing to these people's mental health. I mean, yeah. at a certain point, something has to give. When are they going to actually realize that none of this stuff is going to materialize? You know, once Trump is out, how long does that, you know, th- that denial stage last until they realize that it's really nothing's happening? I, I don't know. Um, but I, I guess I think some of those Q supporters, maybe some of the savvier ones are going to go in that direction and realize they've been fooled, essentially. Maybe they'll even rationalize it by saying, it was a psyop by the deep state, you know, to fool <laughs> us or something like that. This is what's so frustrating. Like Brace and I, I mean, just to echo what you just said, Brace and I talk about this a lot where it's like, you know, a lot of these narratives like distill things down, like you say, into like good, bad, you know, or good, evil, you know, Trump is good, deep state evil, which like, okay, deep state's evil. But it also <laughs> makes it seem like um, all of these things are aligned when in fact, like there are very, like very real and complicated, like interagencies wars and different factions that are at war and different, you know, different staffs that are different, uh, that are, uh, excuse me, that are sympathetic to different figures and, you know, different bosses. And like the idea that, I mean, and so you see that the kind, this kind of thinking kind of like, you know, I don't know, trickle down to like everyone's understanding of these, of the kind of like how the state functions. And, you know, it's unfortunate because it's just not at all, it's just not as simple as that. Like Mm -hmm. to say that the CIA and the NSA are aligned against anything is like completely and totally ridiculous. The CIA and the NSA hate each other. And maybe there's like, you know, some people that, you know, are aligned in between, but like, it's just a complete and total misunderstanding 
uh, of a, a misrepresentation of like how these yeah. power struggles manifest. Yeah, it's it is it's very strange. You know, we we're we've sort of been familiarized with how all these bureaucracies are at war with each other, although that was sort of used as a blanket excuse for why 9-11 happened. Mm, yeah. I think it's yeah. more of a bullshit excuse, but there is truth to that idea. And and they've sort of turned that idea that we know exists into something that is sort of a good versus evil struggle, which is interesting. It's exactly. like we're supposed to root for one faction of this internalized bureaucracy that's rebelling against another faction. And when in reality, I mean, it's just we can't trust any of these motherfuckers. <laughs> like, why? Well, I think that's the thing is I think a lot of people think that like, because you know, the, the, the deep state that everyone thinks of when you say deep state, like, you know, a lot of that is behind Biden. Um, but that's like not as simple as it, as, as it is actually like th there's, there's quite a lot more to that. And this is, this is not a new thing either. There's a really good book called the cowboy and the Yankee war. Uh, by Carl Oglesby that 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 details how some of these things worked particularly I mean if you look at Watergate Watergate is a great example of that mm, yeah, um, it is. you know JFK assassination great example of that and like it's it's you know these things still happen today like it's the deep state is not like one united entity and like the the thing that really kind of gets me about this is is how people use this to say that like this this whole you know Trump Talking because you know Trump talks about the deep state, you know, in a way that no other president has, as far as I know. Yeah. But like, I mean, maybe Nixon, but not not yeah, I was certainly not. Say. In, but like, not not at in the same exact way that Trump talks about it. But but the way that people have used that to discredit the idea of a deep state. I mean, the idea of a deep state is not a controversial one. Like, if you actually explain it to somebody, it's 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 pretty easy to wrap your head around. And like, there's quite a lot of examples of it flexing its muscle. Um, but, but the thing is, it's not so simple just to say like, oh, the whole deep state's against Trump where there's, there, there's factions of it. And Trump is not like, it's not like they all just completely back Trump anyways. They have their own, you know, uh, uh, you know, incentives to, to reproduce themselves that don't always involve him and that can go on without him. Yeah. Your point about Nixon, I think is important because I mean, even saying that, you know, he, you know, he like Trump talked about the deep state or, you know, he had a, that, you know, famous, yeah. he was very paranoid, very publicly paranoid, but, um, but also like, I, you know, the right, like right wingers, particularly like right wing dissidents always use Watergate as an example of like the, you know, deep state taking down Nixon as if it was that simple. Like, oh, the CIA was yeah. taking down Nixon. That was how they could, like, throw a coup and get Nixon out. And it's like, no, well, yes, but no. I mean, there's, you know, it was, you know, first of all, it was, you know, Pappy Bush. But um, but also, mm -hmm. like, you know, it was, you know, a small cohort within an agency making a play. Like, it's yes. much more complicated yeah. than, than, than saying that. And, you know, when people say things like that, you know, they're doing it for a reason because they're pushing something. They're pushing a line. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting, I mean, there's a really interesting narrative that's going on right now because Trump just did a mass reshuffling at the mm. Pentagon and fired Esper, mm. um, I guess, is freezing out Gina Haspel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people are interpreting that as, well, he must be ready to finally withdraw the troops from Afghanistan or, you know, take all the power away from the people who are blocking his agenda. Um, and you know, you hear from other people in the Pentagon, like General Jack Keane, who's from the Institute for Study of War, and he's he's going on Fox News saying this is really overhyped. I'm still advising the Pentagon on a daily basis about the troop deployments, that there's no actual plans on paper to bring them home. 
So there, we get all these sort of heroic narratives about him and when he takes these actions, but it's like, we, I, I do feel that there's a lot of tea leaf reading even going on with that, where we really don't know, you know, it could be something even as petty as Mark Esper said something in public that Trump just didn't like, like apparently that statement he made about not wanting to fire on protesters was, I yeah. guess the reason, I mean, who knows the real reason, but you know, that doesn't sound like. Trump is firing him because he wants to rush through a withdrawal in Afghanistan. But yet that's the narrative that we're hearing right now all over the place. So, well, I, I'm very suspicious of, of these, these sort of narratives uh, as I've talked a lot about, about on this show. I mean, there was going around the other day, there was this like people talking about how Trump was Trump actually uh, took down the Patriot act when, when yeah. that isn't true at <laughs> yeah. all. And like, and when people are telling you stuff like that, you got to really, I mean, first of all, that was literally just a lie that someone came up with, but like, it's it's you always got to be really like suspicious of these people because the problem isn't like it's it's the U.S. government itself. It's not just like tr- Trump is not going to be your Aaron Sorkin hero and like and and you know he is not like that's largely a, a creation of Bannon. I think is this like Trump as you know this mm. this triumphant populist who's going to come in and do all these mistakes and stuff. Like no, Trump is a is a bloodthirsty motherfucker too. You know he dropped more bombs on Afghanistan in one year than other people did. The, the entire rest of the not the rest of the war combined, but in any other year than the war uh, last year, and it's you know it's 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 these are all fucking scumbags you know from the top to the bottom in the U.S. government. Um, there's there is some other theories floating around too, including by a guy that 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 is, whose name I'm gonna mispronounce, but Steve Pachenik. And, uh, no, you, and that's and, correct. <laughs> you got it yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Look at this. I'm, I'm viewers or excuse me, listeners. You can't see, but I am patting myself in the back right now. And, uh, and can you tell me what this theory is, Robbie? Yeah, it's kind of a, I mean, I, I have to admit it's, it's fun, imaginative storytelling. And maybe this is why Tom Clancy, um, who I maybe should mention for your listeners, Steve Pachenik is a long time, like shadow story treatment writer for Tom Clancy. I mean, he's, he's credited on most of Tom Clancy's books. Tom Clancy has been dead for a few years now, but Steve Pachenik is coming out and pushing these, all a lot of these narratives about black ops and the deep state, but they're always sort of framed around that Trump again, is this hero fighting the deep state. And Steve Pachenik, of course, if anyone's listened, I, I think we talked about it on your Q and on episode, um, mm. the theory that he might actually be involved in QAnon in some way, because I still have not found anyone who has laid out what is generally understood as the QAnon narrative as specifically as he did as early as he did. I have not found anybody who's done it earlier than him. So I still think there's some evidence there that he could be involved in Q, although that's really all the evidence that I have. Um, but What's interesting is when Q stopped posting, when the actual real Q on you know whatever that whoever that is, what, you know if it's a group or not, stopped posting on Aikun, uh, Steve Pachenik comes out on Infowars, and he sort of spins this wonderful narrative about how basically what you just witnessed was a sting operation that Trump takes a fake L on purpose in order mm. to basically trick the Dems and the deep state into thinking that he's going to concede. But in reality, it's sort of a slow art of war waiting game where he's pretending to be hurt. He's pretending to lose so that all the electoral votes will eventually be counted to show a Trump win. And the key to making this all happen, he said, is that William Barr 
collaborating with DHS. And that sort of ties back to what you're saying about how DHS reports directly to the president was secretly printing all the ballots with a, some kind of radioactive isotope ink QR oh. code, almost like an invisible ink QR code on the ballot. That, yeah, that sounds real. <laughs> that's not just a regular QR code. It is actually part of what Steve Pachinik describes as a quantum blockchain, mm. some kind of a Bitcoin Wait. style blockchain that is using quantum technology. Hold on. They've introduced <laughs> the blockchain into the United States of America's voting system. Yeah. I got to invest. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so that's what happened. I mean, that's basically what he said. And one of, I, I thought one of the most amusing things of what he said is that don't, don't see what Trump is doing right now. Golfing, not talking, <laughs> um, you know, not doing speeches as any indicator that he's believes he's lost. This is the art of war. He is practicing the art of war and playing it cool and lying low so that this operation can go off. And this was done on um, the Owen Shower hour of the Infowar show. It was like the late night Infowar show. The video went viral. Within 48 hours, it got something like 4 million views. Oh my God. And uh, I think it was you, Brace, who showed me that the My Pillow guy had actually yeah. tweeted this out. So it, again, just A like lot of Hammer high profile Scorecard, guys uh, yeah. put this thing out there. Yeah, so just like Hammer's scorecard, it went all over the place pretty quickly. Um, I don't think it actually broke through to Fox News. Um, but what was really funny, I thought, was that David Knight, who, if anyone is familiar with InfoWars, like I'll talk to people who still listen to InfoWars, and I'll be like, why do you still listen to InfoWars? And they'll be like, man, it's because of David Knight. He's the real deal on InfoWars. Alex Jones is a joke. I like David Knight. Well, yeah. David Knight, their evening host, another evening host, that night after, or no, I think it was the next day after Steve Pachenik laid out this theory, he said that he thinks it's all garbage. He thinks it's all a fake theory. And then he directly accuses Steve Pachenik of being a CIA shill who is trying to trap us. So there's InfoWars night evening host throwing Steve Pachenik under the bus, claiming that he just came on the network to spread disinfo. Um, and it's really, it's just really funny to see this evolve because then Alex Jones brings on Steve Pachenik a couple days after that. And Alex Jones um, is kind of trying to massage him a little bit to not talk as much about the quantum blockchain. He's like, you know, I, you know, I heard you talk about these quantum blockchains and this, you know, the QR code thing. And I don't know if that exists or not, but like, tell me about the overall plan here. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah, sort of yeah, trying to yeah. move him away from that because I think on some level Alex Jones realizes that it's just so it's just total hopium, you know, mm. it's nonsense. And he's trying to get Steve Pachinik to go back to that classic Q narrative about this patriot group that's mm. really, you know, somehow fighting the deep state in the background. And I mean, it's just it's just super funny. I mean, it, you just have to see it for yourself uh, that just the way sort of Alex Jones is trying to move him away from that. And then Steve Pachenik in the middle of the interview just randomly gets all defensive and he's like, and I'm not a CIA shill. I've never I actually didn't work for the CIA. He just sort of exclaims in the middle of the interview. I think he's referencing the David Knight um, accusation from the night before. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. It seems like it's fizzling out a lot faster than the hammer scorecard mm. and dominion voting system stuff. Um, but what I find really fascinating, every time Steve Pachenik talks about this stuff, he's not, he doesn't have an official government position anymore, but he always refers to we, he says, we are working with the DHS and working with Barr 
to set this sting operation up. And, and he's constantly referring to himself as we, as if he is somehow part of this insider, mm-hmm. quote unquote, Patriot group that's part of this Q thing. Um, and that's just really strange. But, you know, he could just be a really sort of imaginative grifter. I mean, he's been at this, you know, for 30 years, 30, 40 years. Yeah, Pachenik is a really strange character to begin with because, you know, like a lot of these guys, you kind of like, you got to take everything they say with a grain of salt about themselves, right? Like whether, you know, they, a lot of people like to inflate their credentials on, 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 on shows like Alex Jones's and, 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 and things like that. So Steve Pachenik actually does have some pretty inflated credentials, but he's got some pretty real ones too. Um, Pachenik was born in Cuba to Eastern European immigrant parents who fled the Nazis. He came to America. He claims he got a full scholarship to Cornell at age 16, which <laughs> as the first teenager to graduate from Cornell, I, uh, I, I have a, a master's in smoking cigarettes, which is a big thing I did at 16. Um, He's he's full of it, but he he said he went to MIT and Harvard at the same time and got two degrees at the same time. He also said that he is a high ranking, you know, member of the military, but he really did join the State Department in 1974, um, or at least he was he was there helping them restructure the Office for Prevention of Terrorism. Because remember, there was a lot of bombings back then, a lot of hijackings and stuff like that. And he claims that he worked on uh, a TWA flight that was hijacked by Croatian nationalists. And I got really into reading about that. And that flight, I, can't, I think it's TWA 355. Um, that flight, it's a really sort of sad and sweet story because there was all fake bombs. And, uh, and the pilot ended up hugging one of the hijackers at the end. They applauded them. It was a very Stockholm Syndrome type situation, which I always find a little charming. But he actually does go to – I think you were the one who told me this, Robbie. He goes to Italy in 1978. Uh, and and for those of you who listened to our, I think, our final 9-11 episode, uh, you might be familiar with something that happened in Italy in that year, a pretty big uh, big story, which is that the prime minister, uh, the, the Italian Christian Democrat, uh, leader of the Italian Christian Democrats, uh, the prime minister was kidnapped on his way to parliament to make a deal and form a government with the Communist Party, and where he was kidnapped by the ultra-left Red Brigades, and then later, after a couple months, he was killed and left in the trunk of a car halfway between Christian Democrat and Communist Party headquarters. Now, what was Steve Pachenik's involvement in that? Well, that's that's interesting you bring that up because I didn't know anything about this. I I just thought that he was, you know, a grifter. He had government connections, but he was just sort of writing off that knowledge and putting out a lot of, you know, kind of fantasy fairy tale stuff about the government via Tom Clancy and now via Alex Jones. But when I read this, I was like, wow, he actually was involved in some sort of deep politics, things that we've sort of heard about, you know, people who've been reading about deep politics for a while, probably heard something about this. And his role was, he was coming over there as an envoy for, I think the state department at the time Mm -hmm. to, and I guess his expertise was as some kind of psychiatrist or psychologist consultant. And he was sent over there officially to help the Italian government figure out a way to negotiate uh, with the Red Brigades who had kidnapped Aldo Moro. Um, And he, uh, apparently that was his official role. Now, like 20 years later, I don't know, maybe it was less than that. uh, There was a documentary made about what actually happened there. And he was interviewed in the documentary. And for the first time, he said, 
that the U.S.'s actual role there was to help prolong the negotiations and actually basically just take such a hard line that the Red Brigades would kill Morrow or that Mm -hmm. they were. And then he goes a little deeper and actually, you know, ties it kind of into uh, Gladio and says and implies that essentially both sides of the situation were working together to get Morrow out. Um, Mm -hmm. He doesn't directly spell that out, but he, and then, and then some other researchers have been like, well, you know, is he still lying here? And what was his actual role? And Italian investigators actually later officially investigated him after he had said this in this documentary. And I don't know if he's followed up on that statement ever since, but some people in the Italian government now believe that he was actually sent over um, to basically help his assassination or, you know, to destroy the negotiating process. Well, he actually wrote a book on the Aldo Moro uh, oh, did he? Uh, assassination where he admits that he and members of the the emergency committee, which was convened at the time, wrote the um, memo or excuse me, wrote like a fake press release that purported to come from the Red Brigades because the Red Brigades are putting out press releases this whole time they had yeah. Aldo Moro kidnapped. And Aldo Moro had been able to send letters to the emergency committee, you know, and, and, and the emergency committee could tell that Aldo Moro or this is what they say. They thought Aldo Moro was going to divulge state secrets. And so yes, what they yes, did yes. is they put out a, a, a fake press release from the Red Brigade saying Aldo Moro had been killed in order to gauge public reaction, but also to give the Red Brigades the nod because they would figure out what's going on, that it's okay for them to kill Moro, that, that the government has given up, that they have no intentions of negotiating, and that to them, Moro is already dead. And Spachenik, uh was actually interviewed um, a bunch of different times about this. A lot of stuff Pachenik says he was involved with, there's actually no record of him being involved at. Yes. In, with the killing of Aldo Moro, there's quite a lot of records. Um, but, you know, he was working hand in glove with P2. And he said, I expected the Red Brigades would have realized the error they were committing for the kidnapping and that they would free Moro, a move that would have made my plan fail. Until the end, I feared that they would free Moro. Interesting. Yeah, I think he's there's he I don't know if it was him or somebody else later who felt that the Italian government was also in on the plot at the yeah. same time and that you know it wasn't just this, you know, an American tra- trying oh, to come in metal. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, that's that's it's very fascinating that uh he would come out and say that and I don't really know why he would do that. I mean like did he just make, I mean, how, how well did that book even sell? Um, probably not, probably not (laughs) niche audience. So that's what I'm wondering is like how much of what he says is just a grift and how much of it is actually real. And that's the problem with, you know, trying to look into Steve Pachenik in general, even trying to link him to Q in some way. Um, because he does seem to be imaginative enough to inspire some of these other narratives. I mean, maybe, he actually inspired Q in some way. And that's why the Q narrative is so similar to what he originally alleged in his sort of Hillary Clinton take over the United States video. It's hard to say, but I mean, man, he's a, he's a strange, strange dude. I mean, you saw that Infowars appearance he did where he had behind him a, a giant f- detailed flow chart of all the different styles and eras of hip hop. Um, like I yeah, was like a I cloud, <laughs> it's like some kind of cloud diagram. 
Um, so I don't know what his deal is, uh, but I get the feeling that Alex Jones and Infowars is not as into him as they used to be, which is interesting. And I think it was probably had something to do with David Knight just openly slamming him and throwing him under the bus live on his show. I mean, mm-hmm. David Knight is very well respected somehow still, even by people who think Alex Jones is a grifter. Uh, so I don't know. I think his I think his time is over in terms of being someone who's going to be able to ramp up. I mean, because like we were talking about earlier, this hammer scorecard and Dominion voting systems thing seems to sort of eclipse his, you know, attempted yeah. conspiracy so far. Yeah, I would suggest that like the fact that he's kind of slippery and difficult to pin down um, in terms of like, is it a crypto or not? I mean, when, you know, talking about the, you know, oh, he had a full scholarship at 16 and he went to MIT and Harvard, like mm-hmm. that just reminds me of like an agency recruiting because that's usually yeah. what they would do is they would recruit 16, 17, 15, 16, 17 year olds and say, okay, you, you can go wherever you want and we'll pay for everything, but you got to work for us after. And that's like a way that they get people in. Um, but I would also say that like, I, I mean, I think that we have this idea of agents, whether, you know, whatever agency they work for, that they are like very, um, you know, disciplined by the mm-hmm. book, very like diabolical, very, you know, very like James Bond-esque vision. When in reality, like the fact that he is like very slippery and kind of like admits later, you know, oh, I was involved with this massive operation in order to sell like his own book. And it's kind of like moving all over the place, doing his own thing, but maybe some things are above board and some things aren't above board. Like that to me seems more typical of someone who's affiliated with an agency than like, than like not, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I I think that sometimes we project these ideas um, about like what we wish it was when it's in reality, it's like a lot messier and stupider than, Mm -hmm. than, than anything we kind of realize, which is maybe more scary, which is why we can't admit it to ourselves. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, if anyone's seen recently what the type of stuff Michael Scheuer has been saying, who was the guy in charge of the Alex station, Bin Laden, you know, CIA unit. I mean, he's gone full Q. Uh, The things he's saying on his own blog right now are absolutely insane fascinating Um, and he's actually calling for like the execution of john brennan and stuff and i'm just thinking (laughs) is this real is a is a guy who is this high up in the cia actually calling for the execution of an ex-cia director it just just doesn't make sense to me (laughs) that's that's wild i mean especially Mm, maybe he was on maybe he was on the newer bin laden cia station for bin laden's (laughs) cousin who's in the (laughs) queue or Or bin laden's niece yeah, oh, that's Nora what bin Laden. Yeah. Oh man, she's <laughs> but, she's foxy. I was about to say, uh, if you are listening to this, ma'am, I <laughs> would love to get a cup of uh, anything but adrenochrome with you. And <laughs> she's foxy. I have a and also, I think uh, on Fox News a lot. So she's kind of got both foxes for her, going for it. Mm, like classic nice. double fox. Yeah. Yeah, it's dangerous I mean, combination. This has been like. I think just like this election and, and really in the interim period since this election on the interim, I mean, we're, we're still in the period uh, it, it, really in like the time since the election, watching these different things flower and grow has been really, really something to watch. And it's like, it's notable that like, uh, 
that that Trump's lawsuits themselves actually have no bearing on like they don't take any of these things into into consideration. You know, it's like, for instance, in Arizona, there's like a lawsuit about like 200 votes, I think. And like, you know, he's filing all these different ones, different places. But like, you know, they talk about the Dominion voting thing, uh, but like I doubt there will be an actual investigation into it. And like the Dominion thing is the most realistic to me of all of these that could have actually yeah. happened. Um I, I still like. I think Biden could won the won the election. I don't know. I think both sides cheat, but I definitely would say that there's. You know, I'm sure the people who are behind Dominion certainly are fucking scumbags, and so I'm not sure why they wouldn't do scumbag things. I'm just curious whether Trump will actually be ballsy enough to 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 really act on any of these things because I think a hallmark of Trump's you know term in office has him been talking really tough, but then failing to mobilize his extremely mobilized base. And uh, in, in pursuit of any of these goals and really giving up on things pretty quickly after making a big stink and a fuss about them. Well, the Dominion stuff just reminds me of Die Bold, like yeah. 2004. Yes, exactly. Ben so Harris. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's funny because, I mean, that, w- I, you know, I know times have changed and also it's Trump. So the media is never going to take anything having to do with him seriously. But like the Die Bold stuff, like people did take seriously, not just mm-hmm. like. Um, For and, good you know, reason. the media landscape was very different back then, uh, you know, I think at least. So, yeah, uh, right. yeah it, it totally reminds me of that, to be honest. Well, that that documentary, Hacking Democracy, I think, yeah. aired on HBO in 2006, and, and people took the issue very seriously back then. Um, so that, to me, remains the, you know, in terms of, like, election fraud, that would probably be the main thing to look at. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is, uh, it's just, I, I think... You know, the fact that we saw this um, just sort of rise up from random, like, I think I even saw, you know, maybe some savvier conspiracy people talking about this, like, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I think the right just sort of latched onto the Dominion thing later. I, I feel like that came from, like, some lefties, actually. I think so, too, because it's, it's affiliated with all the all our, our favorite, all of our least favorite people. <laughs> yeah, Clinton I mean, Global Initiative. Yeah, Canadians. Podesta mm-hmm. and all that. Canadians. Mm-hmm. To yeah. me, honestly, you know, I got to say, all this chaos post-election and them not being able to decide on a narrative, I blame Claudia Conway. Because the fact oh. that Kellyanne is not in the room, there's mm-hmm. no coordination. No one knows what to do without the little girl boss. Yeah, yeah. She girl. ran a tight ship. <laughs> I know. And she was taken out by her daughter on TikTok. It's pathetic. Ugh, so sad. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's sort of interesting also just to watch, like you said, I mean, Trump is always known for being this aggressive fighter. He's always coming out counterpunching like Roy Cohen taught him. Mm. And this is, I'd say... The first time I've ever seen him not coming out swinging after, you know, taking what is uh, could be described by most people as a huge loss. And the fact that he is firing off these tweets all the time, he's only done a total of three video appearances since election night. And each one Mm -hmm. of them, he just seems really low energy, Mm -hmm. really defeated, not making eye contact with the audience, just reading off a piece of paper for the most part. Um, and he practically almost accidentally conceded in his, you know, kind of boilerplate COVID nineteen speech tonight. Um, it was he tweeted something today actually where he said uh, that Dominion Systems created a big loss. It was the first time I think he actually <laughs> tweeted the word loss. So Wait, yeah. <laughs> I get the sense that he's already pivoting 
of how to have a graceful exit and save face. And I think it's the perfect opportunity for him to just claim that he was cheated out of the election, but he's going to leave gracefully, but he'll always, you know, stand by the idea that he was essentially cheated out of it. And I think that that's kind of a win-win for him in a way, because clearly I think we've already seen, you know, that, that window of opportunity like I was, I mean, we even talked about it on last time I was on your podcast is this idea of how scary it could actually be if Trump mobilized the Q base, like for real, mm. and actually told the MAGA street armies to go somewhere, you know, armed with guns. It never got really got to that point. And I think that that window of opportunity for him to do that, or even some of his surrogates to do that has more or less closed at this point. And we saw Alex Jones go to Arizona, I think. Two days after election night, I mean, it kind of really was really just a little bit of a blip. It wasn't really more than that. He told people to go to D.C. He didn't even follow through on that idea. Cernovich was also there at Arizona with him, and Cernovich announced his retirement like two evenings later on Twitter. So I think, you know, some of those people like Cernovich, maybe he's already seen the writing on the wall, but I do think there's sort of a weird balancing act here happening where even when you watch Fox News, it's almost like they're trying to speak to him and trying to give him ego massaging talking points to have a graceful exit. Like this Kingmaker 2024 talking point to me, it just seems totally fake, but it it feels like they're trying to convince him and his people that he's going to be this Kingmaker in 2024. I feel like he's not even going to be in politics in by 2024. That's my feeling, but yeah, I keep telling Brace, like, it reminds me of, like, just, like, a King Lear situation of, like, a, the Mad King alone, left to his own devices, surrounded by his disgusting daughters. Like, <laughs> there's literally, like, it doesn't seem like he has anyone in the room with him who's capable of giving him any kind of advice or direction. Like, there is no Steve Bannon, like we keep saying, and, like, you know, Kushner and, you know, all the rest are, are fucking morons, clearly, because, like, he, it's you know, you're right. It's like he literally doesn't know what to do and kind of leaving it up to this weird, like volunteer queue, horizontal association, whatever that is, you know, like you're saying the Cernoviches and all the rest is, is just completely, I mean, I think it's sort of pathetic, you know, it's It's like completely abdicating all kind of you know, the like mythos that people try to project on Trump all the time. It's just, so, it's just kind of like a really anticlimactic, sad ending to this, this whole sort of fucking farce. I don't know. It's like you realize that the whole thing was, the whole time was essentially just a feedback loop mm-hmm, between Trump absolutely. and this engine of sort of like information warriors. And when, tr- once Trump sort of broke the chain by just sort of stepping out energetically, I think that that feedback loop kind of can't function the way that it was. I mean, mm-hmm. even look at the Hunter Biden laptop rollout leaks. Like oh, something was off so about their machine. Their machine was malfunctioning at that point. It wasn't just the fact that Twitter and all these places were censoring it, which was crazy and absurd that they were, but their machine was glitching. Yeah. They weren't, yeah. they, something was off. I mean, the fact that Rudy was going out there so much, it's like, are, does he have no one left? Corey Lewandowski yeah. and Rudy at the like gardening center? Even- it's like not even the B team. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, that is like, you know, Z list is, yeah, is absolutely Z list. I mean, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the worst guy you could possibly have. Like I, within, I, I, just to say this, like 
I guarantee you I could in five minutes find Rudy Giuliani's phone number, text him, and he would text me back. <laughs> like Rudy is is such a weak link. And the fact that he's been so front and center during all this is not a great sign. This is why Brace and I always rail against horizontalism. This right yes. here. You see, yeah, yeah. It's a total disaster. You need to centralize people. Well, Robbie, we gotta wrap up in a sec. Um but I, 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 I mean, I guess we talked about this earlier, but sort of what's your prognostication for like perhaps the future of this sphere? Like not just QAnon, but this whole ecosystem, like where do you think it's going to go? Well, I think in the immediate future, I still think we do have to worry about some kind of mass mobilization of armed MAGA people, whether it's Q supporters or, you know, I'm less worried about like, Proud Boys and just the direct QAnon honors at this point, as I am worried about the, just the people, you know, these bulletproof vest wearing guys you know, with assault rifles who are just like pro MAGA um, and going and marching in mass. So I still think there's a, there's still a window for that to happen. I think tr- the key to making it actually really dangerous is Trump rallying it. I don't see Trump doing that at this point, but I could be wrong. But I think in the sort of the more long-term like if Biden takes office, I keep saying if, because the situation is just so bizarre, but I mean, beyond Biden, I, I think that the Q movement will basically just, it'll actually in a weird way, I think it'll maybe have an easier time seeming convincing because the quote unquote globalists will be back in charge. Biden will be, you know, doing more uh, perceptively draconian things to handle COVID. Um, there will be more of a, realignment back to the international community so many of these things will just happen automatically from a Biden administration that will feed directly into that q narrative that's been going the whole time except q does not have the burden anymore of having to explain away trump's bizarre behavior and not following through on things and not you know doing things that are always anti-deep state or anti-globalist that's going to be the lucky part for Q or the movement moving forward is they won't be saddled by Trump. But that's also the flip side of it is Trump was that energy and that fire and that spirit, that sort of symbolism they needed. So I don't know. I mean, without Trump, I don't know how energetic it's going to be anymore. But I also think in a weird way, it actually unburdens them and frees them from having to basically create narratives around Trump's uh, incompetence, essentially. I wanted to read one Q post. It's a Q post from 1023, uh, about a week before the election. And this is just the flavor of how Q was posting before it decided to go on a 10 day hiatus. It says, Only the beginning, Padawan. They can no longer hide in the shadows. Big tech, big media, party being exposed for all to see. Um, So, I I mean, apparently we know for sure now Q is a Star Wars fan. And Mm -hmm. uh, also another weird thing, I don't know if we talked about this yet, but Q was actually just straight up posting Dave Rubin tweets like a couple weeks ago how the money have fallen i was just just, gonna say that (laughs) yeah no it's like i think it's a really sad sign of that that you know whoever had that creativity that imagination behind q i think they're probably not involved anymore and also ron watkins jim watkins son announced that he's resigning from acoon 
uh, right after that last Q post on election eve. But uh, I don't know if we can really believe he's resigned at all. Something is definitely yeah. he's, he's definitely forced. connected to Trump's people in some way. I mean, or you know, he's saying he is. He's claiming that he's talking to Rudy Giuliani. He's claiming he's talking to OAN. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. I like I think this whole time I haven't believed that they're the ones directly behind it, but you know they are technically in charge of the website, so they could shut it down at any time, really. Um, mm-hmm. I so. mean, they're certainly some of the only people in direct contact with Q. You know, For they sure. established the new QR trip code and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, you know the old man's in decline when they're posting Dave Rubin tweets. My God, man, I would put my father in a home if that. Yeah, happened. that's that's the sign. <laughs> Yeah, that's you yeah, don't even need yeah. a clock test like that is the exactly clock test. that is, precisely. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, I, I just imagining Q like just, you know, he starts coming out in like a cloak and with a voice changer and like just going on Ben Shapiro show and talking <laughs> just mainline Republican talking points. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, this, this has been a pleasure as always. Well, thank you so much for having me on again and uh, keep up the great work. You guys are carving a path that really no one else is doing. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, you can check out Robbie's podcast with his sister, Abby Martin. Uh, it's a media roots radio. Fantastic show. I'm a big fan. They, their episodes on Bannon and miles Guo were it's like seven hours of it. I listened to, um, <laughs> and of course, uh, a very heavy agenda, a, a true non endorsed film, uh, about, uh, PNAC, classic movie in the genre uh and uh yeah robbie we'll see you soon take care guys it was a pleasure so you don't like my idea of q as um Wizard of Oz, but for the military? No, I love that idea. Liz, I like all of your ideas. Oh, thanks. I like the idea. Just the way he talks, I think it would be so much better if he was, like, wearing basically, like, kind of like a, um, like, real showman's costume. Mm-hmm. Something like, like what do you bedazzled. Imagine? Like, white, like, kind of like Elvis, like late okay. Elvis. In the Navy. Whoa. Okay. So like a naval intelligence uniform, naval uniform, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Like the one Epstein wore in the, the Weinstein picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But bedazzled. And mm-hmm. then like, you know, exaggerated hat, exaggerated medals. And they all have like rhinestones all over them. And yeah. he sort of speaks in riddle and like confusing, you know, it's a little like Mad Hatter meets uh yeah you know Liberace. this is a very jaunty cute yeah i was about to say you're just describing gay q yeah 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 he seems pretty gay to me wow okay that's uh that's that's a that's an interesting i angle. mean that's just my image of him I no think you know what no nice. i'm with you q is gay <laughs> i can tell from his posts that's oh that's it that's got to enter into i'm putting that in the q and on wikipedia yeah i think that was probably offensive but it's not to me Um, okay let's wrap this up yeah Uh, okay well i'm liz do you know that q's jewish uh my name is brace and we are joined by (laughs) producer young chomsky and check this out i'm just doing this from now on the podcast called true and on
and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.